Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central. On Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans, and welcome into a Cyhawk edition of the Hawk Central Radio Show right here on 106.3 KXNO. I am your host, Chad Leistico, and I cover the Iowa Hawkeyes for the Des Moines Register. Later in tonight's show, it's a big one. I'll be joined by my Hawk Central teammate, Tyler Tashman, as we preview Saturday's 2.30 p.m. matchup between Iowa and Iowa State with our usual five big questions segment. But first, we wanted to get you schooled as best we can on this week's opponent. And to dive into Matt Campbell's Iowa State Cyclones, I want to welcome in another registered colleague, Travis Hines, who is our Iowa State beat reporter. Travis, welcome. Are you ready for the circus on Saturday? You know, I I know a lot of our colleagues don't always love this week because it can be hectic and there can be lots of vitriol among the fan base, but I, I do enjoy this game. And the circus is the circus, and I think it'll be as big as ever on Saturday, but I do look forward to this game. No Thank game you. day, but a former president in attendance. So I'm I'm ready for <laughs> I'm gonna have to get we're gonna have to get there early to avoid the too much chaos, right? So um Yeah, traffic Armageddon potentially. So <laughs> oh be prepared. Ooh. All right. Uh well all summer long, Travis, let's start with this. Uh, we've been kind of pointing to how the sports gambling investigation which ensnared both schools, uh, would impact this matchup. We talked about this four months ago. Like, what will it mean for the Cyhawk matchup? Well, now we're here. Uh, you know, we've been talking about it for weeks on Hawk Central from the Iowa side of things, but give our listeners, if you can, kind of the sense of roster calamity, so to speak, that's kind of been created for the Cyclones in this matchup. Yeah, I think certainly they've been affected more than Iowa, where you're looking at five starters from last year's team that were probably going to start this year for Iowa State uh, that are either no longer with the team or not going to play uh, because of, I guess, unannounced NCAA uh, suspensions. Okay. Uh, but I think in in four of the five instances, they're they're pretty absorbable losses for Iowa State, where I think they feel pretty good about the depth and talent in their running back room at their offensive line at tight end and uh, at upfront defensively where they lost starters, where I think the, what you're probably looking at is moved up timelines, youngsters who I think Iowa state feels pretty good about just being thrust into a position a little bit earlier, which obviously is not ideal, but when you have some talent, and some guys with a little bit of experience, those are absorbable blows. I think the one position where we're still unclear what the, the ramifications are going to be are quarterback. Because mm-hmm. we saw Rocco Beckton, J.J. Cole play on Saturday against UNI. But I, I certainly don't have any better understanding of that position after you know seeing Rocco Beck throw 13 passes and the offense conduct 45 plays. I think that still remains a big question mark. And certainly when you're playing a defense, like Iowa's, it's probably going to be exposed one way or another where, okay, Iowa State's got issues at quarterback with a freshman, or, hey, Iowa State might have found something with one of these two freshman quarterbacks if they're able to have success against this Iowa defense. So I think that's the one area where you look at it as being potentially uh, crucial. I think the other four are certainly not good, but absorbable in a way that, you know, you're garden variety injuries that come up throughout the year sure. uh, would have been. Sounds good. We will uh, get to the quarterback uh, situation a little bit later in this conversation, but just kind of first in general, Travis, 
how how good did Iowa State look in its thirty to nine season opening win against you and I? Obviously, when you get a pick six on the first possession of the season, <laughs> that's going to help you out. Uh, but like you said, only forty five plays on offense. So how much could you actually learn? What was your maybe top one or two takeaways from the Cyclones in the opener? You know, having seen Iowa State lose to you and I, or be taken down to the wire by you and I, I think seeing Iowa State come out and be clearly the head and shoulders better team, not in only in terms of talent and physicality, but in terms of execution, I think it's got to, Iowa State fans should be breathing a huge sigh of relief. Now, I'm not saying they're going to win six games or they're going to win 10 games, but this looks like a team that coming off a four and eight season, coming off all the turmoil of the summer, coming off losing five starters, you know, there, there was a real concern, I think, of, you know, what is this football team going to look like? Mm-hmm. And I think what you saw on Saturday was a competent, young, but talented football team. And, you know, what does that translate to in terms of wins and losses throughout a season? What does that translate to against another Power 5 opponent on Saturday? That I'm less certain about, but I think at minimum what we saw on Saturday against you and I is a feeling that this is a football team that is it going to put itself in position to compete? Ultimately, what that looks like, I don't know that we'll have a great idea until probably the end of this month or early October. But, you know, avoiding an absolute debacle counts for something when you're in that position for Iowa State. And that's what they were able to do. And they look good. You know, the question will be what is looking good against the Missouri Valley Conference team, you know, mean going right. against the Big Ten team uh, seven days later. Yeah, let's get to quarterback now, uh, Rocco Becht. Uh, you know, got this from the game notes. I mean, you can always find some good stat from a game notes, right? Uh, becomes the first Cyclone QB to have at least two passing TDs and a rushing TD in his starting debut. So he did well, right, uh, Rocco Beck? But they also rotated J.J. Cole. What do you expect? A uh, couple questions on this. What do you expect kind of the rotation to be, if any, on Saturday? And kind of what is Rocco Beck's background? I mean, is he built to face kind of a, a much tougher defense, presumably, this week uh, in the Hawkeyes? Yeah, so I'll start with Rocco, and you know he is the son of a football uh, coach, NFL player, uh, and the current head coach of the XFL St. Louis franchise. I think they're the Battle Hawks. That's what oh, Randy about wrote that? about. <laughs> yeah, so I mean there there is a serious football pedigree uh, from Rocco Beck. He's from Florida. Obviously, they play some pretty good high school football down there. So he is a guy that arrived at Iowa State a year ago. Uh, you know, with not quite the uh, the fanfare or the recruiting rankings of a J.J. Cole, but certainly well-regarded. I think he's a guy that they look at as being able to be a Big 12 quarterback. You know, on Saturday against UNI, he basically just did what he was asked to do, which was not a lot. You know, they took, I think, one or two shots down the field with him, and he overthrew wide receivers. Those were the, the big misses that he made, but otherwise I think he was 10 of 13 for – 115 yards, those couple of touchdowns, like you mentioned. So he did what they asked him to do against a lesser opponent. Again, the test will come Saturday. And when it comes to what the rotation is going to be, it's a great question. Matt Campbell, when we asked him about it yesterday, was kind of noncommittal what they were going to do. Offensive coordinator Nate Shieldhouse said he thought both quarterbacks would play. If I had to guess, I would think it would be at m- minimum m- 90% Rocco Beck. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. JJ Cole, I, he looked like a true freshman out there. And maybe that's just first game jitters. Maybe that's just, you know, the way it has to be when you're a, a true freshman quarterback, quarterback. But Rocco Beck looked like the guy more prepared immediately to step on the field. And I think in a game like this, 
running two quarterbacks in, one being a true freshman, you know, from Ankeny playing in the Cyhawk game, that's probably a pretty tough situation to put a kid in. So I would think it's going to be heavily Rocco Beck, if sure. not exclusively Rocco Beck. Uh, you know, despite what Shieldhouse said, you know, I don't know about you, Chad, but sometimes these coaches are not the most uh, truthful in what they tell us <laughs> in the lead up to a game on Saturday. Yeah, we had a, a whole podcast segment yesterday about uh, Kirk Ferentz saying the QB sneak is off the table, and we were debating whether he would actually run a QB sneak <laughs> after saying this. So uh, we'll see. Uh, but that's a fun little side conversation about the Iowa quarterback. But let's stick with the Cyclones uh, offense uh, at this point. Travis, fill in the blank for me here. The strength of the Iowa State offense is? It's running backs. You know, I think they, I don't know if they have a star like David Montgomery or Brees Hall, but I think they've got probably at least three guys that you look at as saying these are high level Mm. running backs, big 12 level running backs. I think Cartavius Norton has the chance to be special. I think Abu Sama, the way he played on Saturday and the uh, buzz that he's generated around that program, you know, all fall long makes it look like and sound like he has a chance to be special. And then Eli Sanders has played a lot of football for Iowa state and, you know, Carson Hansen, another true freshman uh, from just up I 35 in Lakeville, Minnesota has garnered a lot of rave reviews too. Uh, AJ Harris from Stanford. I don't believe got in the game on Saturday against you and I doesn't seem like he's emerged on the depth chart like those other guys, but that just seems like there's a lot of talent and a lot of versatility in that running back room. And when you have questions at quarterback, when you have questions at uh, offensive line and solid, but maybe not elite Mm -hmm. wide receivers. uh, You know, I think it's that running back room has a chance to shine. And I think for Iowa state, they're going to be, they've always been at their best when that running game has been rolling. And I think they're going to do their best to get that going because when they didn't have it last year, you know, you, you really saw the wheels come off. Well, Iowa does have two defensive starters out because of the sports gambling investigation, uh, and one of those being Noah Shannon, defensive tackle, twenty-seven game starter there, and uh, that could be that could be a problem because it, it it was not great uh, against Utah State. Not saying it was bad, but uh, that Iowa clearly feeling that loss of Noah Shannon. They yes, they have depth there, but that's something to watch. I would think on Saturday, um, you know, maybe Iowa state has a little more success running the ball, given that's uh, the strength uh, of its offense. Uh, defense is where Iowa hangs its hat. Typically uh, FBS. This is a great stat, Travis and FBS 16 straight FBS best 16 straight games of holding opponents below 400 yards in a game. Interestingly, Iowa is number two on that list with 15 straight games of 400 or less and the last, how about this, Travis? The last time Iowa allowed 400 plus in a game was against the Cade McNamara led Michigan Wolverines in the 2021 <laughs> Big Ten title game. So I don't think either team's going to hit that 400 mark probably on Saturday. But uh, in your mind, uh, what kind of makes this Iowa State defense so good? And is it kind of one of those vintage, you know, top Iowa State defenses that we've seen year after year? I mean, I think it starts with John Haycock. I mean, he's been the 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 common denominator for how good these defenses have been during his tenure as the defensive coordinator. And it's really switched since they switched to that three, three, five stack that, you know, they've tweaked over the years, but that's really been kind of the catalyst that's made that. When did they make that switch, by the way? Do you remember? What year I, I think it was midway between in the 2017 season or okay. a couple weeks into it. It could have been 2018. I'd have to go back and look, but they've been doing, they've been running it for a long time now. And we've seen, a lot of different 
coaching staffs come to Ames to try to learn it. I think most notably the Clemson staff was here before they won one of their titles uh, with Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback. So that helps too, but that, that defense (laughs) probably don't want to overlook that fact, but uh, that defense has been really good. And and this year it's a little different, different because they're really young and unproven with their front six, you know, that defensive line is basically all brand new when you lose Will McDonald off the edge as the all-time leading sack master at Iowa State you're replacing two linebackers you know they started a true freshman at linebacker on Saturday I think they played a total of eight guys at linebacker and uh, they're young up front too so this they're not as proven they're not as seasoned as some of Haycock's other teams but where they really do excel and we saw two interceptions and one pick six on Saturday is that mm-hmm. secondary where you're talking, you know, TJ Tampa is a high level NFL prospect. Miles purchase is an excellent cover corner. And you've got three really good safeties uh, as well that are going to make that secondary, the strength of that defense, no matter what happens at linebacker or defensive line. Now they're going to need some help. And I think that'll be really interesting to see how things unfold on Saturday. Cause my read was, and maybe Iowa was not still fully impressed with its offensive line play on Saturday just as a year ago uh, to see how that matchup shakes out. But Iowa State is going to lean on that secondary to not only shut down passing attacks, but probably generate some turnovers because when you have that young offense generating field position, generating even points like they did on Saturday, you know, obviously has an even bigger impact uh, than those huge plays would otherwise already have. You're listening to Hawks Central from the Des Moines Register and KXNO. This is Chad Leistico talking Iowa versus Iowa State with the Register's Travis Hines, who covers the Cyclones for us. Uh, Travis, you you led me right into my next point, which is special teams, because I know that has long been a frustration for Cyclone fans and followers. Uh, you know, those of us you know who remember the 2019 game. I mean, that game was settled with a special teams gaff of sorts on the punt return game and. Uh, and that was a game Iowa State, you know, largely outplayed Iowa for most of the game. Uh, it looks like a strength this year. And dare I say, could Iowa State have the better punter in this game? He's ever, <laughs> his stats were unbelievable. And Iowa State had as a kicker that made a 56-yard field goal against the Panthers. So is this a special teams juggernaut all of a sudden? You know, they definitely had a really nice game on Saturday. Now they did botch a PAT and have a uh, – a flag on a kick return. So it wasn't perfect, but certainly with what we've seen over the, you know, really probably going back to 2019, that the lows have just been so low for Iowa state on special teams. And they've had, you know, they've had their moments, you know, Kane Nawangu was an excellent return man. Uh, You know, Andrew Mevis was a really good kicker for them, but those have been more the exceptions and the rules. And the part of the problem for Iowa state is that in special teams, when you screw up, it usually is a spectacular screw-up. There's not a lot of places to hide. I mean, we saw the two punt blocks last year against Iowa. That You can be pretty solid 90% of the time in special teams, but sure. if you screw up those 10%, you're, you're wiping out whatever you did the rest of the way. And I think that's got to be key number one for Iowa State is just eliminating mistakes. You don't necessarily have to have a 70-yard punt by Tyler Perkins. You don't always have to have a 56-yard kick by Chase Contreras. But you just can't have two punt blocks, miss three field goals, uh, you know, screw up a long snapper holder exchange on a PAT. Like that's what's really got to happen. But they did have a lot of really good moments on Saturday. They did finally, to Iowa State fans' delight, hire a special teams coordinator 
uh, Jordan Langs, who also coaches the running backs. And I think bringing all of the special teams under one person's direction is going to pay dividends for Iowa State. Now, are they going to be an elite special teams unit? We'll see. You know, they're rebuilding a lot of years of uh, issues there, but mm-hmm. couldn't have gotten off to a much better start on Saturday against you and I, um, you know, given the, the history there. Cade McNamara's mobility is definitely a question mark this week, as I alluded to earlier. Uh, how do you think Iowa State attacks McNamara or tries to limit his impact on the game? Because, you know, he's a 14-3 and three as a starter. Obviously, a lot of those are at Michigan, but, uh, you know, this is a proven guy, you know, and on the other side is a freshman quarterback, but he's gimpy. So uh, what does Iowa State do, do you think, to uh, kind of make his, his day difficult in Ames? You know, my guess is they'll be trying to show some shifting front lines for them to try to generate some pressure. You know, they Iowa State will blitz, but it's usually not, you know, what they're going to rely heavily on. It'll be interesting to see how they mix that in to try to, to put some pressure on a guy that might not be able to elude pressure as well as he would like. Uh, but I think ultimately what we've seen from Haycock's defenses over the years is that they, they're pretty much what they are and then will adjust throughout a game rather than kind of coming in with anything exotic. So my guess is what we have seen historically from this Iowa State defense is if you're going to get them, you got to get them early in that first quarter, in that first half. Once they get into the second half, that's where that, you know, that streak of not allowing teams Mm. 400 yards lives is in that second half is where they're really good. And I think that's going to be interesting to see how aggressive Iowa comes out offensively and Mm -hmm. how, aggressive that defense is in trying to put pressure on McNamara or if they're going to be content to rush three, maybe sometimes four and let that secondary do its job. Yeah. Really good analysis there. I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, how Iowa deals with, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of three man rushes and you know, try to just cover Iowa's receivers, which aren't, you know, outstanding. And, uh, you know, that could be a tough day Trying to throw the ball for McNamara, so uh, we will see. Uh, last thing, Travis, do you have do you have a score prediction, or are you kind of still devising that? I'm going to give you the last word here. You know, I'll unveil one here on Wednesday. Even though I, I always say I uh, retain the right to change my mind you know, <laughs> at any point. Exactly. This I'm not going to hold you to it. Uh, yeah, but you know, at this point, you know, I think I was probably a little better. I think playing at Jack Price Stadium is going to help Iowa State, but I think ultimately the way I'm kind of feeling this out as something like a 17-14 Iowa win, but I, I do think, like these games typically do, are going to be hard fought and it's going to be close. And like to our previous conversation, it would not surprise me at all. This comes down to uh, special teams one way or the other. Yeah, I would say uh, whichever defense makes you know some big splash plays probably <laughs> probably turns the tide in this one. We saw that in 2021, certainly, at Jack Trice. Well, Travis, thanks a ton. You really informed our listeners a lot. And uh, appreciate your time, man. I'll see you up in the press box, the air-conditioned press box on Saturday. Hallelujah. Thanks, Chet. See ya. Uh, coming up next, five big questions. Tyler Tashman and I will dig into the Hawkeyes' preparations uh, for Iowa State, you're listening to Hawk Central on 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register, as always. And happy to welcome in, for the first time tonight, Tyler Tashman, 
of the Register. Uh, we had a nice segment with Travis Hines of the Register, who covers Iowa State. Tyler is our beat reporter uh, for the Hawkeyes, so uh, he will be enjoying his first trip to Jack Trice Stadium on Saturday, where it will be Iowa versus Iowa State. 2.30 p.m. kickoff, obviously sold out. Uh, the game is on Fox. Jason Benetti, who is outstanding, uh, along with Brock Heward and Allison Williams, will be on the call Hawkeyes favored by three and a half or four points, depending on where you look, with an over-under in the 36 or 36 and a half range. So a low-scoring game expected this Saturday. And uh, Tyler and I will now kind of dig into our five big questions to help you preview the matchup itself. All right, Tyler, first of all, welcome. How are you doing? Uh, Indiana got three points against Ohio State, so a pretty successful Saturday for you. Wow. Yeah, that's the rough beginning for me for the show. So you welcome me in and then throw that in my face. But no, look, <laughs> they held it to twenty three though. Iowa no, outscored I, Ohio State last week. No, I know. It, no, their deep Indiana's defense was encouraging. The offenses, you know, need some work. But uh, I think you know, Indiana's defense was, uh, you know, it wasn't bad at all. So yeah, Michigan only scored thirty. Ohio State scored twenty three. Iowa scored twenty four. So I mean, yeah. Iowa's right there. Is this one of these these weird Big Ten seasons where you're just going to have you know a bunch of you know random teams upsetting each other and I don't know. Yeah, well, we're ready for a wild ride, and certainly it could be one on Saturday in Ames. Uh, our first big big question, Tyler, is uh, is one. Uh, it's kind of interesting. It sounds kind of silly on the surface, but when you dig into it, it's actually a pretty good, uh, pretty good question. Uh, I have over under. One and a half touchdowns for the Iowa offense on Saturday. Over the last four meetings, basically, as Travis Hines explained, since uh, John Haycock's 3-3-5 defense came into effect, Iowa has five offensive touchdowns in the last four meetings against this defense. So that's averaging 1.25 per year. And here are the five touchdowns. A Brandon Smith long touchdown catch uh, to break a 3-3 tie in the fourth quarter in 2018. Iowa won that game 10-3. Uh, Nate Stanley quarterback sneak in 2019, uh, Tyler Goodson run and a Charlie Jones catch in 2021. And then a Leshawn Williams run to open the game last year. Then it was uh, silence <laughs> the rest of the game from the Iowa offense. So Tyler, I'll give you the first crack. You're new to this, but, uh, after hearing all that, uh, do you think the Hawkeyes can punch it into the end zone twice on Saturday in Ames? Because if they do, I like their chances. Yeah, I think even with hearing all that, I think that they can, you know, I would take them to score uh, two touchdowns or more because I think that even if Iowa's offense is kind of hot and cold like we saw it against Utah State, we've seen already that they're able to put together these kind of impressive spurts where they can score in bunches, I would say, because that's what happened on the first two offensive possessions of the game for Iowa, and then you had help on that very first one with the Caleb Johnson kickoff return. So I think that even if Iowa's offense is, is still not quite at the level that, that people want it, and if it's still kind of a work in progress and the piece is coming together and the, the O-line certainly continuing to kind of mesh, I, I still think that they have enough firepower and then enough uh, when they get hot, even if it's not for more than you know two or three drives, uh, I feel like they have enough talent and enough weapons to, to get it in the end zone. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I, I do have uh, – I don't want to spoil my prediction too much. I do have the over slightly here, 
but I think one of them comes on a very short field set up by the defense potentially uh, for the Hawkeyes. Um, you know, they scored 18 points in Ames on offense back in 2019. They scored 20 points back in 2021 on offense. Again, some of those uh, sh- uh, set up by the Hawkeye defense. Uh, but they did score 44 back in 2017. That was also under Brian Ferentz. Did take over time, but uh, that was also a, a different type of Iowa State defense. I don't I'm just interested to see uh, Tyler just kind of, you know, what the offensive game plan is going to be, you know, will they let, will they put this totally on Cade McNamara's arm or will they try to run the ball and try to establish that run come hell or high water? Uh, It should be really interesting. The explosive plays are so lacking. I got one more stat for you guys on this one. The longest play in last year's game, a 10-7 Iowa State win, was a 14-yard pass to Alec Wick, and the long in 2021 was only was that 26-yard TD to Charlie Jones. So the last two meetings, Hawkeyes have not had any play go longer than 26 yards. So that'll be an interesting little thing to track as well. Can Iowa kind of, you know, maybe get a little, little bit more of a big play offense going? We've seen McNamara's ability to kind of try to take some deep shots, and you, you feel a little bit better about the offensive line blocking for that. Pass protection did look better against Utah State, but the strength of Iowa State's team is essentially the secondary. So really interesting chess match uh, with Brian Ferentz against John Haycock on Saturday. That leads us into number two, Tyler, which is can Iowa run the ball against Iowa State? The last four meetings, only two and a half yards per carry, only one run longer than 14 yards over the last four meetings for the Hawkeyes on the ground, which spans 137 carries. I don't know. Uh, well, from what you are reading, looking at looking at the matchups, what are you hearing from the Hawkeyes? Can they run the ball at all? I think that question basically boils down to the offensive line because you know I feel like if, if I was uh, running back room is able to stay stay healthy, they basically have three guys that I think are really capable in Caleb Johnson, LaShawn Williams, uh, and Jazz Patterson, and, and we saw each of them. Uh, to varying degrees, have a role in the offense against Utah State. So I think they're all really capable. They all can get things done. And and, and I think the bigger question for me is, is the offensive line going to open up holes? Because, you know, going back to the, the Utah State game, you know, the pass blocking was really good. The run blocking, uh, you know, was kind of the opposite. So it was kind of a mixed bag of results. So part of that, you know, Utah State did throw some kind of, different looks defensively that that might have made it a little bit more difficult but I think as the season goes on you know if if Iowa can stay healthy in the running back room I, there's there's little question to me of whether those guys are capable of breaking runs I, I really I enjoy watching Caleb Johnson run just just his physicality mm-hmm. um you know the way that he hits the hole uh I, I really enjoy watching him run but it doesn't matter that much if, if he has no room to run so to me, if, if this is the question for this week and, and the rest of the season, really, yeah. is not if not if I was running backs can can run well, but more of can can the O line open up big enough holes? Yeah, I know we both had a chance to talk to Jennings Dunker a little bit on Tuesday, and you know they seemed pretty encouraged. I would say by by what they saw in the film room uh, on the offensive line. I mean, Logan Jones after the game was was very pleased uh, with. Uh, kind of how it went for the O line, and and Dunker had a had a quote 
um, with me that's, you know, he said, God, I was, I was watching the South Dakota State game, you know, on film going into the to week one, and it was just so hard to watch. And it's just, uh, you know, in their mind, this looked a lot better. They were very close to hitting on some things. So I fully expect Iowa to attempt to run the football as much as possible in this game. Again, Iowa does have good running backs. You made a great point there, Tyler. You know, they some of their best players on the team are the running backs. When we've seen Iowa try to kind of pound it through that Iowa State defense with a fullback, I just wonder, you know, could there be a, a little bit of a Hayden Large impact in this game or maybe some Eric All at fullback, which we saw in that opener as well. You know, maybe Iowa busts out some of those three tight end sets and gets Addison Estrenga in the game. We talked to Abdul Hodge today, you know, did we not? And he was very, very high on, on Addison. We keep hearing about kind of the progress he's made. So I think that could be something interesting to watch. Does Iowa just really load up with some heavy boxes and try to just run it run it through this Iowa State defense? But can they? That's, kind of, that's just a crazy question uh, to see. It's just been so hard to run against this Iowa State defense over the years. But I think the Hawkeyes will try. I think 35 carries to me is the magic number for Iowa to win this game. All right, question number three, Tyler. Let's flip sides of the ball here. Look at the Iowa defense. Uh, where should Iowa be most concerned when Iowa State has the ball? I think one is, I don't know if this is much of a concern for me, but more of a question is just what type of pressure does the D-line uh, get on you know whoever's playing quarterback back there uh, for Iowa State? Because um, it felt like there was a lack of pressure against Utah State. And, and going back and watching the film, it was, obvious that a big part of that was because of how quickly Utah State was getting the ball out, right? There were a lot of bubble mm-hmm. screens, a lot of quick hitters, and that kind of neutralized what Iowa was able to do in terms of generating pressure. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see because the defensive line was supposed to be one of the real strengths on, on Iowa's defense. And maybe, uh, you know, the loss of Noah Shannon and, and Lucas Van Ness might be uh, might have more, might have had more of an impact than we thought, but um, obviously the week one is was kind of a unique situation in a, in a small sample size. So interested to see you know what jump the D line makes from week one to week two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say my my bigger concern is uh, explosive plays because we saw against Utah State when they were able to spread out Iowa right and get like someone like Nick Jackson in an unfavorable position covering a wide receiver. That there, there was one play that comes to mind that uh, they kind of beat. You know, Nick Jackson got beat pretty badly on a uh, explosive play, and and not to say that that's going to happen every single play or, or you know that was all on Nick Jackson because that's just a tough matchup. But what concerns me is if Iowa gets put in kind of those difficult one-on-one matchups that are able to be exploited for big plays because right now I still don't have enough confidence in Iowa's offense to be able to. It, like put up uh, you know big numbers if, if if the defense does kind of give up some of those bigger explosive plays. So to me, limiting the ex- explosive plays and kind of getting guys out of vulnerable positions that we saw were explo- exploited against Utah State. Yeah, this would presumably be Rocco Beck's second career start. Um, so that'll be you know a little bit of an unknown there. Um, but yeah, I think I think the explosive plays you you identified there tyler is is something to watch uh cartavius norton they're running back 511 225 he's uh he's really good runner 
uh, you know, Jarrell Brock out for the, with the gambling violations, but they don't seem to be missing him very much. And I'm, I'm really interested to see Abu Sama, the Southeast Polk freshman, uh, a, guy, a guy that had 372 yards and six touchdowns in the state championship game last November, holds a state long jump re- record at 24 feet, 10 inches. I mean, this is a really explosive guy. And so I'm kind of curious to see if, yeah, maybe one of these running backs can, you know, crack through a, a hole created by Noah Shane and not being there or something like that. Uh, a little bit worried on that in that part in terms of, of when Iowa State has the ball. And I do think they're going to try to go after Nick Jackson. I mean, I'm not, I think he's a very fine player, but, you know, that was the one, one guy that, that certainly uh, was put in an uncomfortable position against Utah State. It wasn't all his fault. He had to be in coverage a lot. Uh, but I also, you know, that's what coaches do is they, they try to identify the weakest, weakest spots on a defense and go after it. So I think that could be, uh, you know, Nick Jackson, you know, maybe has a big game on Saturday or he doesn't. So that'll be, he's someone to watch for sure. Uh, Question number four, Tyler also digs into the defense. Uh, Does Phil Parker just go after the quarterback, whoever it is? And, uh, you know, in a way, could that help protect somebody like Deshaun Lee, who I know you're writing about this week, who's only going to be making his second career start and has never faced a power five opponent. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, it didn't seem like uh, Phil Parker really put together any exotic blitzes or anything against Utah state. And, and part of that may have been because it was game one and also because of how quickly Utah state was getting the ball out. Right. So if you, if you gamble on putting six, seven, you know, six bodies uh, trying to rush the quarterback and then, they get the ball out really quickly, then you're probably going to be outnumbered, uh, you know, on the perimeter. Uh, I think it, it, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea in terms of, right, this is an experienced uh, Iowa State quarterback that, that being able to kind of put him under duress and getting him, him under some pressure, which I think would make increase the him making bad decisions and, and guys, like Xavier Wampa and, and Quinn Schulte and Cooper DeGene, maybe to be able to pick off passes and kind of create some more turnovers. But at the same time, that, that does, like you said, put more stress on someone like Deshaun Lee. And I think Deshaun Lee played really, really well in, in his first, I mean, it was his first college action. It was his first career start. He redshirted last season. I think he uh, played really well against Utah State, but I, I know I could see uh, Iowa State going after him, testing him at the very uh, minimum. So, if you do bring pressure, then that's going to uh, put more uh, emphasis on a guy like Deshaun Lee, maybe to play uh, one-on-one coverage. So, and maybe a guy like Nick Jackson, if he's asked to, uh, you know, go cover as well. So, I think maybe you look at this as as what's the the situation of the game. Maybe you don't come out of the gates trying to, uh, you know, jumble things up a little bit. But depending on the game situation, if Iowa feels like it maybe has its back against the wall and, and needs to kind of create a short field for its offense, then maybe you start uh, dialing up some more exotic stuff. But um, I, I think, you know, maybe a nice mix of both would be the most beneficial for Iowa. I expect Phil to come out in, you know, safe defense. And then uh, I would like to see more. I would like to see him be more aggressive. I only counted a handful of blitzes against Utah State. Uh, I go back to 2019 when Iowa was – getting out gained pretty uh, significantly by Iowa State, Brock Purdy, and the Cyclones. They averaged 7.7 yards per play that game to Iowa's 4.3, but Iowa won the game 18-17. Why? Uh, Special teams, yes, but also because Phil Parker sent eight blitzes 
in the fourth quarter after Brock Purdy and the Hawkeyes uh, generated uh, some mistakes, some incompletions, punts, and Iowa outscored the Cyclones 9-3 to in that fourth quarter, which is a lot of points in the Cyhawk game and won that game 18-17. By the way, i got to correct myself earlier. The 2018 score was 13-3, to not 10-3. to All right, last question, uh, Tyler. Uh, what intangibles are you watching on Saturday? And yes, I will count special teams as an intangible. So what are the, what kind of weird things or what kind of side things are you kind of looking at that could decide this matchup? I think it'll just be Iowa's ability to manage its emotions and manage being in a difficult atmosphere. We've heard a lot over the past couple of days of just some of the stories of, of Iowa players playing at Iowa State and how difficult the atmosphere is. And I think that can kind of hold true for uh, rivalry matches, but I think uh, in game two of the season where, where you still feel like, especially on offense, you're trying to build that chemistry and kind of put the puzzle puzzle pieces together, together I think of, of how I was just kind of able to manage uh, the adversity of the crowd and being able, uh, you know, to not let the emotions of the game kind of uh, take over and get the best of them. So to me, uh, that's that's a big part of, of playing this game is just being able to kind of manage all the outside noise of it. Yeah, the, the last time Iowa was in Ames, it was a top 10 showdown. ESPN's college game day was there. Uh, no rankings for either team this week. Iowa falls out of the AP top 25 poll, so there won't be any numbers next to the name on the screen. Just a, just a good old rivalry game. Uh, I do think special teams is going to have a huge factor in this game. Iowa State uh, really had a strong special teams week in game one. Uh, but Iowa has such a good punter in Torrey Taylor. Um, he had a huge punt in that third quarter in 2021 that really swung that game in Iowa's favor, swung field position. And um, so definitely watching the punters for sure, as we always do in Iowa games. But uh, the other thing that I'm interested in, Tyler, is is really the quarterback injury situation. I mean, if, if Cade McNamara cannot hold up through 60 minutes, I do not think Iowa wins this game. So protecting him keeping him upright is so important in this game and uh he i mean he's a clutch guy he's a competitor you know he's 14 and 3 as a starter this is a guy you want in there in the fourth quarter uh so to me that's i don't know if you call that an intangible but you know having McNamara get to the finish line to me is is uh essential for Iowa to win this game and frankly I'm not you know, maybe we can talk about this in the post game podcast, but I'm I'm not opposed to having him sit out against Western Michigan next week, and uh, regardless of what happens, and trying to get better for the Penn State game. So should be fun, man. Uh, coming up next on Hawks Central, we will look ahead to the Big Ten slate, and we will make our Cyhawks score predictions. Iowa Iowa State just three days away. We'll talk about more of that next here on KXNO. 106.3 Hawk Central. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I am your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register, myself and Tyler Tashman, taking you up to 7 o'clock uh, where, where we will air KXNO's Fantasy Camp. Uh, in its second week of programming. All right, interesting first week in the Big Ten, Tyler. It's like four days of Big Ten football. It was awesome. Uh, what results stood out to you most last week? Well, the the very first game I watched was the Nebraska-Minnesota one, and for 
almost the entire game, it, or up until a few minutes left, it felt like Nebraska was going to kind of break through under Matt Rule in his first game, and maybe this was going to be a new era of you know Nebraska football and not blowing games, and uh, then that did not happen. So that was kind of crazy. <laughs> did not happen, but, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, no, I, I think there was just a lot of interesting results. The Michigan State kind of was played close by Central Michigan for most of the game. Uh, Ohio State beat, like you mentioned before, Indiana 23-3, but I don't think they looked overly impressive. Um, and Purdue losing to Fresno State, too. So that mm-hmm. was kind of, uh, you know, an eye-opening result. So And Illinois barely won as well. So there was a lot of kind of crazy stuff going on in week one. Yeah, Illinois had to... <laughs> had to really pull some things out of its hat to to get that W, and uh, as did Minnesota. So, I mean, overall, I felt, I guess, less in, in impressed with the Big Ten West competition that I was going to be facing this year, which which you know makes this week's game all that more important. If you can get this win, you're going to beat Western Michigan next week, and then all of a sudden the Big Ten you know continues to look really manageable. I mean, Northwestern looks god awful. Uh, you know, I think Purdue's got a long ways to go. Uh, I do think I'm interested to see uh, this week's games, and that's what I want to talk about next. Which games are most intriguing this week? There's three of them on my list, but certainly Nebraska at Colorado on Big Noon uh, on Fox. Hopefully we'll be up in the press box by then to avoid all the hoopla <laughs> up in names. Uh, we could just kind of watch some of that game, but that one's really intriguing to me with the Deion Sanders situation. And just looking on ESPN right now, I know I don't. It, it says Colorado is only favored by three, and to me that it feels like Colorado should be favored by a lot more than that. But it was like uh, a pick'em earlier. It was like a one-point spread or a pick'em, really? like earlier, and it's gone in Colorado's favor. So, yeah, yeah I, the, the Vegas not believing in Colorado just yet. Uh, I don't think. Uh, yeah, and then uh, I'm interested to see Purdue going to uh, Blacksburg to play Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. which. I'm guessing will be a very difficult atmosphere, and uh, that's a tough ask after after losing your opener to to go to Virginia Tech. So yeah, and then two Big Ten West teams with tricky road games against Power Five foes. Illinois back at it at Kansas. I mean that was that was a tough Toledo game. I mean Toledo's a good team, one of the top teams in Power Five. So I give them credit for winning that game. And I thought Luke Altmeyer looked pretty good. Uh, Illinois' defense might not be what it was last year. And then Wisconsin, I mean, they were not, they were kind of up and down. They ended up with a ton of rushing yards against Buffalo. But how do they fare at Washington State? 6.30 Saturday night on ABC. So after you watch the Hawks and Cyclones, you can catch Wisconsin at Wazoo. That'll be a really fascinating game as well. Uh, one other topic we wanted to bring up, Tyler, but kind of just didn't fit it in was, you know, Iowa's wide receivers. Only four catches the other day against Utah State. Uh, one of them was from Deacon Hill on his only completion to uh, Seth Anderson. So, you know, be aside from the Anderson catch from McNamara to start the game, and then that one, Nico Ragaini with two. Caleb Brown and Deontay Vines played a ton, but they got shut out on the ledger in terms of receptions. I don't know. Do you think like those guys could be kind of secret weapons or kind of hidden uh, potentially big play guys on Saturday in Ames? Yeah, I think it's actually a, a good problem to have maybe that they didn't have catches against Utah State because, one, I think it speaks to the strength of Iowa's tight ends because Luke Lachey and Eric All ate up a lot of those re- receptions and uh, Eric All had a touchdown catch and, and Luke Lachey uh, led Iowa in receptions and receiving yards. So having those guys as well, I think the fact that 
you don't have to rely as much on the wide receivers just speaks to the strength of Iowa's tight ends. But also, it also just feels like it speaks to kind of the broader idea that Iowa has a lot more offensive playmakers on the perimeter than it did last season, where you can have uh, Deontay Vines and Caleb Brown, two capable guys. that they, They're unproven at the college level, really, for, for various reasons, for Deontay Vines being an older guy, but having dealt with injuries, and then Caleb Brown just being a really young guy. But the fact that uh, Iowa's offense, you know, still managed progress, I think there's a lot more room to grow. Um, but they, it wasn't like they, no one caught any balls. Like the offense still was clicking a little bit, and it wasn't – and those two just kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. So I think it, it speaks to more that there, there's a variety of guys and a, a variety of playmakers that Iowa has that can – uh, be dangerous on on a game, on a week to week basis, and you don't necessarily need to rely on one guy here, or one guy there to, uh, to to kind of fill that playmaking void. So I think it's actually uh, as much as those guys, I'm sure, would probably want to have catches. I think it's actually mm. more encouraging. Yeah, I think uh, I think Vines could do some things this week. Uh, all right, time for predictions, Tyler. Uh, I will go first this week, since you did the honors last week. I like to mix it up. Uh, I, I talked about how Iowa's only had five offensive touchdowns in its last four games against Iowa State. Well, the same is true for the Cyclones. Only five offensive touchdowns in those same four games, uh, averaging less than 12 points per game against this Iowa defense. And one of those scores was very late in that 2021 game uh, with Hunter Zeckers uh, leading him down the field. So uh, points are hard to score uh, against the Hawkeyes in this matchup, and I feel like uh, of all the offenses that Iowa has faced in these last four meetings, which have all been tight, low-scoring games, I feel like uh, you know, uh, this is the one that Iowa State has more to prove. So I don't see Iowa State scoring very much. I do see Iowa getting in the end zone a couple times. I think Cade McNamara uh, – I don't think Cade McNamara is going to have to throw a bunch. I think I think they're going to be able to do some things in the running game. I think Caleb Johnson's going to – you know, maybe bust a bust a big run or two, and I think Cooper DeGene has some big play. It's either going to be a punt return or an interception return to help set up a touchdown. So I've got the Hawkeyes covering the spread. I did not have them covering last week, and I was right. I have them covering the spread this week and winning in Ames twenty to thirteen, and going on to face Western Michigan with a two and zero record. Tyler, your call. Yeah, of course. So what I was going to say, I think I think twenty to ten um, sounds pretty fair to me, and and I would say that. It, I, I was thinking in my head that that you know I could see it being kind of an ugly game and twenty to ten though given what what Iowa kind of went through last season I don't think necessarily would be categorized as that ugly given that the the first game of the season was seven to three so um, but no I, I think it, it's one of those games that you know Iowa might just kind of have to grind out and uh, I think any way that that you can get out of in a tough environment against a rival. And week two with a win, I, I think, is a good win, um, barring you know an injury to Cade McNamara or something. But I do think that we'll see progress uh, from the offense, uh, even if you know they put up less points than they did against Utah State. I think we'll see a, a, a considerable jump from the from the defense from week one. Um, and yeah, I think twenty to ten. I, I think I mm. would um, blowout. Twenty to ten. Yeah, <laughs> it is yeah. in this game. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think, I think Iowa will win, and um, you know, it, it might be kind of a dog fight for most of it, but I think, I think they'll come out with a with a W. All right, we both got Iowa scoring twenty points. Uh, that's pretty ambitious, Tyler. But that would be under. 
pace for Brian Ferentz, but maybe he could make it up next week against. Yeah, I would uh, say that would be what thirty four for the year. Forty four, yeah, be forty four, yeah. So that'd be need to make up oh, some yeah. ground, but yeah, but, I mean twenty is going to be twenty would be ambitious, but uh, I think that twenty will be enough to win. I do think that. Yeah, I don't think both teams are going to cross the twenty mark. So yeah, you 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 can tell I wasn't a math major. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Tyler. Really appreciate it. Uh, uh, make sure to catch our post-game podcast Saturday night on our YouTube Hawk Central page. It'll probably be pretty late. I mean, this is a later game. Uh, my uh, Twitter handle is at Chad Leistico, or X handle, and Tyler's is at Tyler underscore T15. So we will have you covered there. Just follow our Hawk Central feeds and uh, our YouTube Hawk Central page for that. We'll also have Randy Peterson, Travis Hines, and Alyssa Hurdle up in the Jack Trice Stadium press box to cover all the angles for you on Saturday for the Des Moines Register. Coming up next here on KXNO, it's Fantasy Camp with Nathan Fisher and Tyler Allen. This is Chad Leistico saying so long and talk to you next Wednesday night here on Hawk Central 106.3 KXNO.